Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. You've probably heard this before, but what makes ordinary people do extraordinary things? Does extraordinary require an intrinsic or extrinsic motivator? Is it something that is hidden within somebody and is only activated when it's absolutely necessary? Is it based on survival or doing whatever it takes to continue to live? Or is it based on the love for another person or correcting an injustice or simply for a social, political, or religious cause? It's hard to say, and honestly, if you're looking for answers to those questions, unfortunately, I don't think this episode will provide that. However, what we can do is provide an example of an extraordinary hero, an unsung hero, and all this person had to do was air her dirty laundry. Now, wait a second. What does dirty laundry have to do with being a hero? Well, hopefully this episode of The Missing Chapter will educate and motivate and show our listeners that something as simple as airing your dirty laundry in the most literal sense, mind you, can actually be used as a tool for a cause greater than the courageous person carrying out the act. Let's continue this conversation. Welcome to the Missing Chapter Classroom, everyone, and let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Missing Chapter Podcast. You're on with Phil Horner and Phil Schaff. Phil, we are drinking Boston's Best Coffee Roasters, ground gourmet coffee, medium roast, and it's a coffee shop blend. And it's really good. It is very it's, tasty. You know, it's um, it's kind of, it's not too strong, mm-hmm. but it's got a nice coffee taste. Um, and, and it's a good coffee to have on a Monday. It has a, uh, a pastry on the front, and it does have a little bit of sweetness to it. My question is, though, did you intentionally say Boston? I may or may not have. Okay. Yeah, and we actually we partnered it with some nice cookies that Tracy Evans, a good friend of ours yes. and a colleague down the hall, uh, gave us and surprised us with this morning. The cowboy so cookie. The cowboy cookie. We'll have to talk about that a little bit more. It has to do with uh, presidential first ladies. And one of the uh, fundraisers that they do after their husbands leave the White House. But it's a good coffee. We paired it with a good cookie. And we have some good news. Some we have some good news. news that we literally found out maybe 10 minutes before we decided to uh, to do today's episode. Phil, I'm going to pass it over to you to, to share with our listeners. Wow, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 10 minutes prior to this uh, recording, we had just found out that we were accepted. Uh, our proposal was accepted to present at the 103rd national conference of social studies conference in nashville tennessee so yes. any of our listeners nationwide we, i know we have a huge following in california specifically um and of course throughout you know all of our 50 states if you are a social studies teacher and you can make your way out to nashville tennessee um, i'm assuming in the next few months usually it's uh, over the summertime they send out um, a packet and a release of all the different conferences you can attend and we will be one of them. So we're really yeah. excited. We're going to have, um, obviously, us too. And we're going to have our uh, additional social studies teacher, Justice Parker, to go with us. And it'll be a great time. Yeah. And as we get more information as to exactly when we're going to present, 
uh, we'll make sure to pass it on to you. What day? I mean, the conference itself is is right at the beginning of December. Um, our submission was entitled Find Your Voice, Creating Educational Podcasts That Empower and Unite. And we'll walk you through the process of doing your own podcast. We're going to try and do some clips that actually go into future episodes. And we're going to be having a really good time. And you'll get to mm-hmm. kind of meet us and, and um, yeah, sharing the enjoyment, sharing the excitement Absolutely. of being in Nashville. And uh, it's always nice to, to meet people over the country who, you know, are, are in education and who have the love for, for helping students. We look forward to it. Absolutely. And we're going we're gonna to run a course next year also, right. a distance learning course of how to create your own podcast. Yeah. So it's, it's just uh, we're building off of, uh, of the passion for history and, and recording in general. And on top of that, we're sitting here and it's, it's May 22nd. Um, we're not really sure when this will air because we're, we're actually ahead of the game here. So it could be uh, into the fall when this airs. But I do want to mention that, that this was inspired by uh, Greta Smith. Greta Smith is a friend of ours who reached out. Um, she's the chair of the Daughters of American Revolution for um, this area. And she reached out and, and we wanted to give her a thank you. She said, hey, would you and Phil be willing to present? And um, we, we wanted to do a story that included them. Right. So in preparation for that June 3rd conference, uh, which we will be presenting at, we wanted to make sure and, and throw some more information at you. So the 75th anniversary of Fulton Montgomery County Daughters of the American Revolution Chapters Flag Day celebration is hosted by Fort Rensselaer Chapter, DAR, and it's going to be taking place um, in Johnstown, New York. So we're really excited to present. We're really excited for, for Greta and the uh, the DAR chapter to be part of this episode. So we're going to include them in that. It's a great honor. A great honor. Very and uh, we'll be presenting this, this very episode during the conference. So we want to give a shout out to them. Now, Phil, having said all of that, this story, when I stumbled upon this, was absolutely fascinating. And I'm, I'm hoping maybe, maybe some of the, the people that we're going to present to with Greta Smith, maybe they already know about this unsung hero. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Now, this is from the Lowell Milken Center for Unsung Heroes. They did a fantastic job of describing this uh, individual. Her name is Anna Smith Strong. So we're going back to 1740, Phil. She was born on April 14, 1740. Okay. She was married young, and it wasn't atypical for that, that time period. But she's made, married at the age of 20 to Selah Strong III in 1760. Now, her husband is a pretty prolific figure, too. Selah was the delegate to the first three provincial congresses in New York and was also a captain in the New York militia wow. in 1776. In 1778, at the height of the Revolutionary War, Sailor was imprisoned in New York City and later on the HMS Jersey for, quote, let's see if I can get through this word, surreptitious correspondence with the enemy. Well AKA, done. thank you. I well did done, it. Phil. I did it. Prior to this, I practiced this like 18 times. Um, AKA just basically means that the British thought he was a spy. Okay. And he was. Okay. So someone had to continue the family role of information spreading. So it actually was Anna that took over for her husband's dangerous role. But first, Anna uses her wealthy British loyalist, I might add, Mm -hmm. family members to bribe British officials to parole her husband back to Connecticut, where he stayed actually for the remainder of the war with their children. Okay. So the chances of that happening is pretty, you know, obviously slim to none. Um, but Anna remained alone on Strong's Neck, which is a hamlet on Long Island, for the rest of the war. So it's kind of a local area for us, you know, living in, in upstate New York. Um, but she stayed to take care of the family home. You know, you got to remember, empty homes were subject to a lot of destruction and abuse by British forces. forces but she had another reason to stay, though. 
See, Major Benjamin Talmadge. Remember, I told you I was going to go a lot of names here, a right. lot of name dropping. So Major Benjamin Talmadge from Setauket, Long Island, which is south of Strong's Neck, which I just mentioned, was asked by General George Washington to start recruiting spies who could be trusted to collect information from New York City. Okay, so Benjamin Talmadge, Major Talmadge. This group of spies was referred to as, quote, the Culper Spy Ring which operated primarily in New York City, Long Island, and Connecticut. Now, I've heard of this before. I've never done any research, but I've heard of the Culper Spy Ring. See, I, I myself have not. Now, this it, is all news to me. It was one of those things where you, you, you've you heard those things in passing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it had to do with the great um, Steel episode we did and some of the spy issues, or I, I maybe I, I spotted this in the, the spy museum that we mm -hmm. went to in D.C., but I, I remember hearing this name. Never knew why it was called the Culper Spy Ring. Here it is. Why is it named the Culper Spy Ring? Because... It was derived from the aliases taken by two of its main members. Now, you got to remember this. Samuel Culper Sr., remember, it's just an alias. His actual name is Abraham Woodall. Hmm. And Samuel Culper, Culper Jr. is Robert Townsend. Okay, so we have Abraham Woodall, Robert Townsend. Those are the two spies, the Culper Jr. Sr. gang. That's why it's okay. called the Culper Spiring. It's their aliases. They operated mostly in New York City and Long Island and Connecticut, as I said but they conducted covert operations until after the end of the Revolutionary War. Now, going back to Major Talmadge, he was in charge of this operation. Remember I told you she already had her home. She wanted to stay back and she wanted to take care of the home, but she also had another, I don't know, what, what you could say a, a rope dragging her back home. And it's this right here. Major Talmadge, which is in charge of this enti uh, entire operation, and Anna were already friends. Mm. They both grew up in Setauket. And she knew, excuse me, he knew she was trustworthy. So he goes to Anna and asks for Anna's help. And she became the only female spy in the Culper spy ring. Now, that's not the end of the story. It's actually just the very beginning. Robert Townsend, which is Culper Jr., was a merchant in New York City. And he agreed to supply a lot of the information. He was a patriot pretending to be a loyalist. So for those of you that need a Revolutionary War refresher, that means a loyalist, of course, is a British supporter. His acquaintances believed he wanted to wanted the British to win the war. Okay, Townsend also wrote for a loyalist newspaper. So people freely gave him information. It was a pretty good cover, including British officers, which he would pass along to a guy by the name of Austin Rowe. So Austin Rowe was a 29-year-old Setauket tavern owner. He rode the 110-mile trip from uh, to New York City every week in order to, to to supply his tavern, which was an excellent cover as well. So you have a lot of names here, right? So it's a little confusing. It's, I get it's, it, and and rightfully so. It should be. I mean, you're talking about a full network, correct? You have people embedded in New York City where a lot of this is going on. They're in positions where people are giving them, feeding them willingly information, and then from there, the people who are risking their lives to come get that information and take it to you know, the proper yes. uh, colonial resistance sources. Correct. So if we can just map this out once again, mm -hmm. you have Major Talmadge, okay. which is in direct contact with General George Washington. General says, hey, listen, Major, you got to go find some people that can be part of, of, of this spy mm -hmm. network. So he does, and he knows he can trust Anna, Anna Strong, the only female spy in the Culper spy ring. You have the two Culper spies, junior and senior, which is um, Mr. Woodle and Mr. Townsend. Okay. And then Townsend is the guy who is pretending to be a loyalist 
and he's connecting to Austin Rowe, who has a cover as a tavern owner. Okay. Okay. So you have this this huge ring going on. Now the road that that the tavern owner Austin Rowe was taking was very heavily traveled by British troops and by highwaymen. So he made many of these trips and was never discovered, which is miraculous in and of itself. While he was retrieving secret messages from Townsend, usually in a bundle of a notepaper, by the way, which is kind of cool, he carried it back to Setauka and hid in a Dropbox for Abraham Woodle's, or excuse me, in Abraham Woodle's farm. So you wow. can kind of see the connection here. Mm -hmm. So you have Austin Rowe taking messages um, either to and from Townsend and then bringing it to Abraham Woodle, who's got a farm, okay? Abraham Woodle, Culper Sr., remember, is only 27 years old. And he's considered the leader of the Long Island spies, the Culper spy ring. And he ran the group's day-to-day -day operations on Long Island. He also decided which information needed to be moved along the spy ring and which would ultimately be forwarded to Major Talmadge in Connecticut. And then, of course, on to General Washington. Now, Woodle lived in constant anxiety of being discovered. In comes Anna Strong's job. Anna's job was pretty dangerous. She was to relay information to Abraham Woodle about the whereabouts of yet another spy by the name of Caleb Brewster. Mm. Caleb Brewster, which is a known spy to British, uh, a known spy to British forces, rode his whaleboat across the Long Island Sound wow. to and from Connecticut and needed to deliver information from Woodle to Major Talmadge. Talmadge then would decide which pieces of information would make their way to General Washington's headquarters in Westchester County, New York. So, I mean, there's so many different legs and stages to this, which just, you know, with something this sensitive, for me, it just means there's so many things that could possibly go wrong, go exactly. wrong, you know, between the source and getting it to General, General Washington. Exactly. A lot of people to yes. be found out. And now, yeah. given Anna's job, like you said, had to be superior in, in secretive operations, right. right? It also had to be pretty obvious because she wanted to make sure that the, the, the signals were clear. Mm -hmm. And given her location, Anna's job was to give the signal to Woodle that Brewster had arrived. Okay. Okay. So that's her sole job. For this, she pinned a black petticoat up on her clothesline, which was easily visible to both Brewster and Woodle. However, the coastline was riddled with small coves in which Brewster a.k.a. Agent 725, would hide himself and his boat, and Woodle needed to know which cove Brewster was in to expedite the information-sharing process. So with Brewster being a known spy, Woodle needed to come in and be quick. So Anna's system was pretty simple. There were six coves used by Brewster for cover. She would hang white handkerchiefs up, and with that number of handkerchiefs corresponding to which cove Brewster hid. So for example, one handkerchief meant that he was in um, meant that he was in the first cove. Two meant that he was in the second cove and mm -hmm, so on. Mm -hmm. By counting the number of white handkerchiefs on the line, Woodle knew which cove Brewster would be in. Now, because of her efforts, a plot by a well-known American was discovered. Now, as we go into detail after the break, I'll ask you this initial question. Who was that? And what plot was it? And we're going to find out after the break. Welcome back from the break. You're here with Phil Horner and Phil Schaff. It's the Missing Chapter podcast. Phil, the beginning of your story, we, we mentioned how complex this system was. The yep. number of people involved, the responsibilities uh, that they had, the risks they were taking. But then you kind of left us off with something I think is interesting, the simplicity 
of actually how it's being carried out. The one to two to three to four handkerchiefs mm -hmm. that she's leaving on the clothesline. So I, I think it's, it's fun that that's such a simple thing. And I think it has to be because if it gets too ornate and complicated, something's going to go wrong or it's going to bound, it's bound to be recognized by the British. Correct. So with the simplicity of it, unless you're looking for it, there's really no way of ever know she's sending messages. That's true. So I think one of the things that you mentioned is 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 really profound, actually. Um, the complexity of it, uh, but as well as the simplicity of it, I think is a great mixture. And I, I think I, I think one of the things we found out in the Washington, D.C. spy museum mm -hmm. is that case right there. There were certain things that were so complex, it was hard to remember. And now, like putting yourself in that situation, right. you're you're essentially becoming an actor. You're, mm -hmm. You have an alias, you're a different person. At the same time, some of these things were so simple. Like, how would someone no not notice that? And it's right out in the open. That's it. You don't notice what is right in front of you very often. Precisely. Yeah. So I think having the dirty laundry aired on her line, I think, was a great way to do it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, don't you think after seeing that every single day, and it's the same laundry, don't you think you would say, well, something's odd with that? Mm. Maybe not. I don't Maybe know. Not. And I say that because, of course, as we've mentioned before, right. it's the other side and of the you have history. so many other things going on in your life that maybe you don't even know she puts out laundry at all. Correct. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so listen, so that we left her with a little cliffhanger, uh, but in part due to Anna's simple and discreet system, the Culper spy ring was responsible for the discovery of Benedict Arnold's infamous act of treason. Uh, and just to remind you, that's uh, where he devised a plot to surrender West Point to the British for 20,000 pounds and a place in the British command. So this was the information that was relayed to General Washington. Um, but even though by that time, Arnold had fled. Mm -hmm. So members of the ring were subjected, obviously, to intense British scrutiny. Uh, there were several arrested during the war, but not a single member. One talked about successful spy ring. Not a single member was ever found out. The ring was kept in such great secrecy that General Washington didn't know the identities of all of his spies. And the ring's existence was pretty much unknown to the public until the discovery of correspondence in 1929. And I think this is very fitting to, to play out their lives after the war was over. Anna was eventually reunited with her husband. And I'm, I'm sure they shared stories of, of what took place on both ends. Uh, but Anna and Selah eventually had their 10th child. Wow. Yeah. And they, they named him George Washington Strong. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.